Well, good evening, folks. It sure is good to be in the Lord's house. Good to see you folks. I appreciate all the Southern hospitality that I've received since I've been in town. God surely has been good. Folks, uh, uh, the pastors led you in the right direction, and it's so good to be with you folks tonight. The pastor has been a friend of mine a long time. I preached for him in South Carolina before he came here, and I highly respect him and his ministry. I said to him tonight before I come to the pulpit, I said, you're so gifted, and God has blessed you so much with gifts until it kind of intimidates me to come to preach. But uh, God's the one that gives the gifts, isn't he? And I bless him that that's so. So I appreciate him and his wife and family. And then I appreciate this church and uh, the privilege to be here. What about the children? Wasn't that a blessing? As they sing, you cannot ever go wrong with that. They bless my heart. And then these fine young people. Uh, Young people, you need to just keep on keeping on for the Lord. That is so important in our day, and I hope that we'll have something uh, in the service this evening that will help each and every one. The pastor kind of asked me to pray about giving you some things on the home, and uh, I have prayed about it, and I really feel that God would have me to give uh, at least probably three messages on the home. And I'm going to begin tonight uh, with kindly, I guess, my testimony. Uh, uh, My wife and I were married 63 years, four months, 13 days. And she went to be with the Lord on the 10th of December. And what a change at my house. So I'm going to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Proverbs. And I'm going to start there. The book of Proverbs in chapter 31 of Proverbs. I would uh, encourage every young person young man and every young lady, at least the time you reach the uh, teen years, that you become real familiar with this entire chapter. Because the chapter begins with uh, telling us that this matter of strong drink is a very serious thing. Young people needs to learn that early in life. And then, as you choose a mate, whether you be a young man or whether you be a young lady, the Bible is clear in this chapter of what you're to look for. Now, when my wife passed away, I never would have thought I would have done this because I thought about one day if she went home to be with the Lord before I did, that... uh, I would not do her service. I would not preach her funeral. 
but she got the COVID and as a result of that, she did go to the hospital. And um, I don't know that that was a good decision or not, but at that time I thought it was. And then we brought her back home before she went to be with the Lord. But in the midst of all of this, for two nights, I knew God had made it sure in my heart that she would not live, that she would be home with the Lord. And as a result of that, I wept and prayed for two days and nights, slept very little, and God put it in my heart that I was to do the main part of her service. So I'm going to share some of that. And I hope it'll be a strength to you and a help to you. The home is the foundation of this country, really. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The home is the most important thing in this community. As goes the home, so goes the church. And as goes the church, so goes the community. And as goes the community, so goes the nation. And we could all say that our nation is in great needs in these days. If we've ever needed the Lord, we need him to guide us in these days. I don't know where the nation's going, and I don't know of anyone that does unless it be the Lord. But I do know one thing, if you will stay with the Bible, if you're not a regular Bible reading, and I know this is elementary in a sense, but a lot of people is too elementary when it comes to the Word of God. So I would say to you that you ought to begin your day with the reading of the Scriptures. If you're not doing that now, and I want to say this kindly, you are very foolish. If you don't put the Bible in your life every day, and then that you be a person that is on your knees praying unto the Lord. There's nothing like a consistent prayer life. The scripture said that we ought to pray without ceasing. Want to pray without ceasing. Now, I didn't mean to say all these things before I read. My wife used to tell me, I don't like to hear a man preach until he's read some of the Word of God. So uh, since she's looking down tonight, I guess I'd better read the portion of the Word of God. All right, I'm in Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. I really wanted to start in Genesis 2, but I may just go and read Proverbs 31 and verse 10. All of this is great. The Bible said, who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. There's no price as high as a virtuous woman. You young men, you're sitting in this church tonight, 
You better get a hold of that. And that's why you need to read the book of Proverbs. And I want to say to the young ladies, and this is serious, serious business, young folks. You need to be a virtuous woman when you go to the marriage altar. That is highly important. The Bible is clear on this. When young people commit the sin of fornication, they sin against their own body. Now, I know this is my first visit here, but we just well to get started right. Don't you think? I think, that, I think that's the way it's got to be. We've got to get started right. If we get started right, we won't end up wrong, will we? So I'm going to go back, and I'm going to give you some things. I grew up, and my wife Sue grew up, in the state of Georgia, Calhoun, Georgia, where Brother Sammy Allen came from. He and I were friends. After we got saved, come to know the Lord, I was, I grew up in the cotton country. We raised cotton and corn, and um, so we worked hard. Anyone that doesn't work hard, they need to get a good job, and they need to work hard. I say this often, I won't say it here tonight, I don't really have any respect for a man that will not work if he can. Now, one of these days, I'll get too old to work probably, but I'm not there yet. They ask me down home when they see me out on the street, are you still preaching? My boys kind of laugh at this. But I, I asked them the question, are there any longhorn cattle in Texas? Are there any Hispanics in Mexico City? If they are, I'm still preaching. God called me to preach. He saved me by his grace. He put me in the family of God. And immediately, almost, it seemed like that God put a preacher in me. And I got a preacher in me, and I hope I got some preaching that will help you. Praise God, it's wonderful. I don't know of anything I'd rather be than a saved, God-called, spirit-filled, devil-hating, sin-hating Baptist preacher. Uh, it's wonderful to be saved. I'm going to have to drink a little water and we'll get going. Preacher made a bad mistake. He said my offering depended on the fact of how long I preached, so I'm going to go about three hours. That'll be all right, won't it? <laughs> Probably tomorrow night I'll go to Genesis 2. And uh, we're going to deal with the home. I hope you'll be here. 
The relationship in the home between husband and wife is a picture of Christ and his church. And I don't think that Christ and his church ever argues and fusses at one another, but sometimes we might. But I can say this about my wife and I. When we met, I had worked hard. I didn't have much interest because I didn't have time to have interest in young ladies, but I, I guess, visited with some, dated with them a little bit, but I never saw one that I was interested in. And I guess it might have been because they were not interested in me. I really don't know. But as time moved along, my cousin told me of a young lady by the name of Sue Young. My wife's name is Sue. And said, uh, would you like to meet her? And I said, I don't know. But I might. And he said, if you want to take a look at her, she's a cheerleader for the basketball team at Redbud High School. I said, okay. If I'm in Redbud, I'll just go and see about that lady and see what I think. So I got me a ticket and went to the ball game and he told me what she'd look like. And uh, keep in mind now, in that day, she had an old-fashioned Presbyterian preacher for principal. And he overseen the whole group. So when I went in there, they had on beautiful clothing, sweaters. Their skirts went down to long about here. If you didn't see it, let me go out here where I can show you. About like that. They didn't do any climbing. They didn't, they did not show their nakedness. And I saw her and I said to myself, if she's as good as she looks, I'm interested in her. <laughs> Somebody told me after I married her, said, you got the purdest peach in Georgia, didn't you? And I said, well, I thought so. So I went, and I went to pick her up. I don't know it in these days where you recommend that or not. But her daddy and mother allowed me to take her out, provided I get her home at 10 o'clock. And it just really, I met her in 1956. I hope this is not too boring for you. I met her in 1956 in the fall of the year. Now, I wasn't sure about her, but when I saw her about the second or third time, I knew that I was going to try to marry that woman. And I didn't want to waste any time. So that like one fellow said, I was driving a Chevrolet, and the other fellow was driving a Cadillac, and therefore I wanted to get ahead of him if I could. <laughs> so her birthday come along about March. I mean, no, that's my birthday. Her birthday come along in November, the 5th. And so I thought so much of her, I thought, I'm going to get her a ring. I didn't know much about that. But I went and bought her a ring. But I wasn't going to ask her to marry hardly that quick. So I bought her a ring, and she liked it. She liked it so good 
that Christmas came along, and I didn't know no better boys, but I'll tell you, it would have been better if I would have got her a necklace, but I brought her another ring. I mean, I, I, was really, I was really like a fisherman. I was trying to get the big catch. So as it moved along, we kept seeing one another, and I talked to her sister, her younger sister, and she said, it was amazing to me how quick that she just fell in love with you. So on her mother's birthday, I gave her an engagement ring. And I believe that was about February, and I met her about October. You don't have to be in that big a hurry unless you know that you're getting the right one. But, I, you know, if you really know that something's going the right direction, why in the world would you not just go ahead and get it over with? Or are we moving too fast? She, she went to the high school there, and she had a great teacher, Miss Fuquay. She taught her for four years. And you know, we really need this in our schools now. She taught her about so many things. And I was a country boy. When I went to pick out her engagement ring, I wanted her to go with me. And so I took her down there, and we got out. When we got out, I got on the inside of the sidewalk, and she had been taught better. So she hit me on the arm, and she said, Ray, you're not supposed to be on the outside. You're supposed to be on the inside. And she said, I want to tell you something else. Don't ever walk in front of me. She had been taught that by a Christian lady. And so she has straightened me out. This thing may last two hours, you know, <laughs> slow as I'm going. But we're moving in the right direction. There's nothing is important. Young people and all the rest of us, there's nothing is important other than salvation until you find the mate that God has for you. Now, I may push this farther than a lot of people would, but I believe if we walk with God and even in the providence of God, if we wait to the right time, yes, sir. I believe when that person was conceived in their mother's womb, whether it be a young man or a young lady, that God had them picked out one another. Is that taking it too far? If God is who we say God is, and he is, by the way, we need to believe God again. Now, we could differ on some things, but I, I guess one reason I'm sure sure of that, I know I got the right one. I know she was the right one. No doubt about that. Now, when we were seeing one another, I wasn't saved. I believe in the providence of God in a lot of things. I'd made a profession when I was 10, and I won't spend much time on that, but I did not know the Lord. 
But God saved me when I was 19 years of age in a little country church in the hills of North Georgia. And I want to tell you one thing, I met him that night. And since I met him, I never have got over it. And that's been 64 years this past March. And I've been preaching 64 years this month. I'm telling you, God is real. Salvation's real. The call to preach is real. I did not just take it up as a habit. God Almighty called me to preach. He put it in my heart. He put a preacher in my heart. I can't quit. Don't want to quit. Some of the travels are a little difficult, but I always think about what Jesus went through. And I feel like I'm dragging my feet moving along. But then after I was called to preach, we got married the 27th day of July, 1957. We grew up right at the end of the Depression, and I don't think the Depression was over. I was born in 37. If it was over, I didn't know it. But that was good for us because we were taught character, hard work. If you, want, if you want something, you don't expect the government to pay for it, you work for it. Amen. Girls, if you meet a boy and he won't work, ditch him. Don't fool with that fellow. He may tell you that he'll work, but he won't work. If he won't work before you marry him, he won't work after you marry him. Right. I've never seen as many young ladies get messed up with a young man that drank that was on drugs, and they'll promise them, if you'll marry me, I'll quit all of this. Don't you believe a word of that, girls? I never have. I couldn't show, all the way through these years, I've never known one that ever kept a promise. If you want to step over, oh, well, I wish that old preacher would just hush. If you get what I'm telling you, you'll have a lot happier life down the road. I hope young people and all of us are listening. So we got married, got in the ministry. I didn't even know what it's about. They called me to church after I'd been called to preach for two years. It was a halftime church in those days. Halftime, halftime Christianity, I guess. But they'd have preaching one service, one Sunday and the next Sunday they didn't. It's the way it worked. A lot of churches that way. Because in those days, back in those days, a lot of people didn't have an automobile. Now you may think I'm ancient, but I'm not hardly, I'm not hardly there. They really paid me well. They paid me $35 every two weeks. And now I think, and after they did that, I thought, my goodness, I probably ought to have been paying them. It's about a job. And so I moved on and moved on and I really had a hunger for God. And I learned to pray. And I learned to study the Word of God. 
and I learned to go to the places where I could hear preaching that would challenge your heart and challenge your mind and get me going in the right direction. And then I got so hungry. I got so hungry for the Bible. I got so hungry. I looked around and, you know, I saw so many people and churches and even preachers and I felt like even myself, there was just no life like they ought to be. And I began to read and study on the Holy Spirit of God. There's nothing as important in anyone's life after they're saved to understand that you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. No person can do the work of God like they ought to do the work of God until they are filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. How we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I got hungry for that. And Brother Allen came with me in a meeting, Brother Sammy. You all really appreciate him. And in that meeting, I had been praying from Along in January, I went to a power conference, and now it is August, and I'd been praying that God would really take my life. And in that meeting, God did something. I know I was saved. I know I was called to preach. I know all of that. But God done something in my heart, in my life, in my soul. God did something, folks, that I had never seen. And I know you don't live off of experiences, but there is experiences in the work of God. Somebody said, I don't want to hear experiences about your salvation. You know why they're that way, I believe? Because they never have had one. There's a lot of people that don't want to hear about experiences when God did something in your life and God turned you in the right direction and God began to bless you and use you. You preach the same messages but a different power. It has to be the power of God. When a man preaches, he needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but he don't only need that but he needs to be anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Without the anointing and the filling, there is no power. And where there is no power, there is no work of God that's going to stand. Oh, I bless him. I bless him. He got a hold of me. God did more in that meeting. We ran two weeks, morning and evening the first week. We thought the Lord was coming that week. We'd have the meeting. I think we had 35 conversions. And then we'd go out there and knock on everybody's door, whether the lights was on or whether they were not on. And we'd tell them the Lord was coming. Brother Allen and I did. They'd shoot you now. But they didn't even, nobody say anything derogatory to us. We just kept on knocking on doors. We couldn't see them in the church. Oh, that God had given us those days again. This country needs something. 
We're, we're in trouble. Young people, if you've ever prayed, if you want a life ahead of you, you'd better find God. I don't know what's coming, but I do know this. If we stay with the Bible and we stay with prayer and we walk with God, we'll be all right. I don't care what happens, it'll be all right. You don't have to fear him who kills the body. Rather fear him who, who kills, who's able to kill both body and soul. I mean soul and spirit. Hell fire. You don't have to fear man. You stay full of God and walk with God. You don't have to fear no man. No, sir. No, sir. You can respect men, but you don't have to fear any of them. That's, exactly right. Amen. That's what I believe. Well, preacher, they might kill you. That's all they could do, and they could just kill the body. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ever die because I got everlasting life. Brother Sammy used to say, now if somebody gets saved here tonight, don't get, don't get too shook up about it. Don't get too shook up about it. If someone, one of your loved ones gets saved here tonight, said don't get too shook up about that matter. Because, said, they just got eternal life. They're just going to live forever. So if I was you, I wouldn't get too excited about the fact that they're going to hell, but now they're going to live forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'll tell you, it's wonderful. I'm about to get in gear. Uh, The Lord, the Lord's good. And I bless him. And I praise him. I hope I'm not just rambling. I don't think so. I don't really think so. I'm bragging on Jesus. And I don't know how you can beat that. Bragging bragging on the Holy Ghost. I'm bragging on the one that saved me and called me to preach his word. I bless him. Praise God. So I went up to Libya after that. Stayed five years. And I hope you get these little points. I'm moving along. I got a lot of points. It's like the steer's got the one here and one over here. Especially in this tonight. But I went up to Olivia Baptist in Dalton for five years. And I'd like, because time I won't tell you, but there was sacrifice to be made. So many people would like to do something for the Lord, but they want to do it on their terms. You can't do that. You can't do it on your terms. He's got to have the keys to the whole house. So I went up there. One day after I got there, I had my Bible. And I was in my study. And I'll never put my Bible on the floor. Unless I'm on my knees and I got the Bible open out in front of me. And on this particular day, I was in the study. And I had my Bible open to Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Now that, don't ma- that does not mean that you're going to be wealthy materially, but all of the good spiritual things 
and everlasting things will be added unto you. And God was flying in my soul. And I said, Lord, I'm 25 now. I said, Lord, from this day on, I'm going to completely let you run my best business. I want to do, I want to, I want you to run. I want you, Lord, I'm going to give you my life so completely that I just want to turn my life so over to you that whatever you've got, God, that's what I want. I'm going to look after your business from this day forward above anything. I'm going to let you look after mine. And God has done a lot better job than I was doing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. I'm going to tell you, he's a good God. And I said, Lord, I remember as good as it was yesterday when I was 25. If God visits you, you don't so quickly forget it. Twenty-five, I said, Lord, if it please you, I'd like to preach until I'm 80. I thought that was a number of moons away. But my life's been like a vapor. Sue and I were married, and I, I've almost left my subject altogether. I hope you're getting something. I didn't know where he'd let me live to preach when I was 80 or not. But when I turned 80, somebody said, well, what did you do? I tried to renegotiate it. <laughs> so now I asked the Lord, let me live to 90. And I'm 84. I'm on my way. If Jesus don't come and take me, I'll probably be around about 90. I bless him. He's the one that gives you life. I don't have one breath, and you don't either, young or old, unless he gives it to us. You know that? You, you can brag about what you're going to do, but you can't do it without him. Every time I'd move my, house, uh, my wife in a good house, she'd, she knew it wouldn't be long we'd be leaving that church probably. We'd have to kill rats at the other place. But we went to Calvary in Kingston. They called us there. And when we got there, God had had me in school. Those years, I was 33. And I stayed 33 years at Calvary. I was 44 in pastor. And Sue's health got bad. We built buildings, bought land, built a new church building, started a Christian school, bought land and built facilities for that. And she was right by my side. We had four boys, 
And she'd say to me a lot of times as the boys were grown, and the young people don't forget this, she'd say, I wish I had my time to go over. I believe I could have done a better job. I wish I, well, she was doing the best she knew how. She was a great mother, and her boys love her to this day and her grandchildren to this day. And I said, well, Sue, I want to tell you this much. They're still married to the same woman. And they're not ever been in jail. You know, that's pretty good for these days. And they've been faithful to church. Some of them is not in as strong a church as I wish they were. I believe in the old time way. I believe in the power of God that brings sinners to salvation. I tell you the truth for this dead rock and roll music stuff. I'd rather be 40 miles from water and choked on peanut butter as to be in that mess. Amen. I know the difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on. I'd gonna go to the movies, I'd just go on. If I was going to the rock concert, I'd just go on. I wouldn't try to bring it in the church. This ungodly Music that they brought in a lot of churches is just getting them ready for the one world church. Boy, that's a mean preacher. I don't really mean to be. But I want to say to you ladies and men, you know, couples ought to be of one mind. We, we had, one thing we had was unconditional love. In my house, mama was the queen. I was the head of the home, but I did not abuse that position. Amen. And if there was anything that we didn't particularly see just right, we'd talk it through. I believe that's the way it ought to be. You may not always agree, but you, you, once you talk it through, you'll find out that you probably do agree. Because if you do it from the Bible, you've got to agree. And I didn't keep no secrets from her, and she didn't keep secrets from me. Amen. Somebody said, well, I can't tell my wife everything. Well, I'm telling you now, this, these secret marriages, they don't work out so good. And if we didn't see everything just exactly right with the children, we'd discuss that. And you know, I wanted my children to live straight so strong until, and I've, apologize my older kids 
some, I said, I really disciplined you sometimes too hard because I wanted you to do so right. And you know, as a young man, if you're not careful, you'll get one side to the other too much. Is that good preaching? Is that good instruction? And, and I'll tell you, mothers as, as well as fathers. Now, I want to tell you something, young people. Your parents are not perfect, but they love you. Your parents are not perfect, but they want the best for you. They love God, and they want the best for you. But there's no perfect parents. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect wife. But I tell you what, we all married a sinner, but if we're saved by grace, praise God, it ought to be unconditional love. We're doing pretty good. So things moved along, and that church grew, and my, the good years we had at Calvary. It didn't look like you could stop it. And about 2001, Sue's health went down. And it really began to decline, and she got to where she couldn't always attend church. She had arthritis. She had all kind of back conditions, and her health has just really gone down. And it really bothered her because she couldn't go to church and stand by me and help me and I was sitting one day reading Matthew 6, and the Spirit of God spoke to me and told me I needed to step down. And I talked to her about it, and she said, uh, well, maybe I could travel some with you and if that's what you feel like you need to do. So I resigned the church, told the church a year before I was leaving, and uh, I stayed gone a lot. And Brother Plemons came in. I was trying to give him some space, and I turned it over to him in 2002. I'm going somewhere with this. And so, after I gave the church up, I had two meetings. One of them was in New Jersey, and the other one was in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I went to, I flew up to Philadelphia and preached a week in New Jersey, and then I went over to Hagerstown, I preached a week there, and I called her at least twice a day and had somebody stay with her every night, and I came home. And you really need to get this now. I came home, and she is a devoted wife to the Lord. She is a devoted wife to me. And she said, I want to talk to you about something. She said, uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you just, she was so low. And I, I saw that as soon as I got to the house. And she said, why don't you uh, just put me somewhere and then you can just go anywhere to preach. And I looked her right in her eyes, brother. And I said to my sweet wife, I don't know what we'll do, but we won't do that. Amen. 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 
Jesus Christ will never forsake his church. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I don't believe we ought to ever forsake him. She was my life and I was her life. We live that way. I had a meeting west of Atlanta. I got a lady that taught in our school. She was a young woman. She wasn't married and her and Sue were real good friends and I got her to stay for a week. I went to Atlanta and I took Vance Heffner's book and though I walked through the valley, Brother Heffner's wife had Cushing's disease and Oh, my, how she suffered and how my wife suffered. And he wrote that book after she passed. He kept up with a lot of things. I read that book that week. The preacher couldn't see me except at night, and I think that was in God's plan. I wept more that week, probably. I know, unless it was when I knew she was going to go to heaven. And... God told me. Somebody said, you talk like God talks to you. He does on a regular basis. He talks to me out of the word. The Holy Spirit of God leads me and speaks to me. I'm like Dr. Harold Sattler said to a lady one time. She said, you said God talked to you. God spoke to you. said, did he speak to you in an audible voice, Dr. Sattler? He said, oh, no, ma'am. Oh, no, ma'am, much more than that. God really speaks to you. God really speaks to you. I believe God will speak to you every day in that still, small voice, don't you? He told me to come home, preach out as far as I could. I made that commitment, and I came home, and I told Sue, I said, I got the answer. God wants me to be with you every night. And I put I would put her to bed every night, get her up every morning, look after her for 17 years. And I'd go out as far as I could, never leave her at night. And there's a widow lady at two in the church, and they'd stay with her during the daytime. And I I was content doing that because that's what God told me to do. I thought I ought to be an example of Christ, though I couldn't be. I couldn't look after as good as he can. She's better looked after now than she was when I was looking after her. So then in December, and there's, I left out so much. We both got COVID. Didn't bother me much, but with all of her health problems, and I won't go into all that. I thought she's doing good. I had two good doctors helping me, and we kept her home. And then we was going for an infusion, and her oxygen went down. And I have a granddaughter that works at UT Hospital in critical care, and I sent her over there. But see, I couldn't go see her. And I talked to her. And we wasn't going to put her on the ventilator because she didn't want it and I didn't want it. And the thing is, the will of God for her. 
I'm not telling you what you need to do. And she told me, I talked to her by phone, there's no way I could talk to her. They had so many patients, they couldn't hardly look after her. And she said, if you don't come and get me, you don't get me out of here, I'm not gonna live. And so I got a hold of the boys and we, now Michelle worked with us, my oldest granddaughter, and the hospital worked with us. And eight months ago, eight months ago tonight, at eight o'clock, we got her home. She'd use you at home. She opened her eyes. There's a lot of things I don't like about technology, but I appreciate them iPads because all the children, all the grandchildren, all the great-grandchildren got to tell her that they loved her and talked to her. She couldn't talk much, but she told every one of them that she loved them. So Michelle and Melanie was there. They both are well-trained nurses. And we went through the night and she got weaker. And I laid down beside of her. I tell you, I wish I could have done more. I took the best lotion there was in the house because I'd done it many times. I thought this is the last time I'll get to do it. And I put it on her feet. I put it on her legs. I talked to her. Told her how good a wife she'd been. Mother. Grandmother preacher's wife, how faithful she'd been. Those were solemn times. And we moved on. And Michelle said to me, my oldest granddaughter said to me, Papa, somewhere around two o'clock, She said, I don't think she's got much longer. I don't believe she's going to be here much longer. She had already lost consciousness, basically. And my boy Stacy was out of town. It comes to feist on us. And he called in. And he said he wanted to sing so I want to sing Mama a song. And he sing her one song. And then he sing Beulah Land. That was her favorite. She'd love to hear him sing Beulah Land more than anything in the world. He's singing Beulah Land, and he gets down to the last line, and just as he gets down to the last words, she opened her eyes, looked like she was pleasant, looked straight up, 
closed her eyes and went home. My granddaughter said, Papa, I see a lot of people die because I'm with the most critical. She said, I've never seen nobody, nobody die like my mom. I want to tell you something, young people. I'm just about done. I'm just about finished. But about six weeks, I guess it was, I seen she was kind of going down. We were sitting one day and talking, talking about our kids, talking about our grandkids and great-grandkids. We got five little great ones. She began to cry. She said, the thing that bothers me the most in this life is one day when we get to heaven, that they won't all be there because if they don't come to know Jesus, they're not going to be there. If you don't know Jesus tonight, unless you come to know him, you're not going to heaven. A lot of people's confused because they made a light profession or something. They don't have anything. But if you know Christ and he's in you, you're bound for glory regardless of what happens. I bless him for that. I think I've preached long enough. I could say more. But I go over to the graveyard and I've had the funerals of many of those people. I'm about 10 miles from, or 10 minutes from where she is, and I stand there. I look up to that graveyard, and I see all them saints. And I know her body's there, but her soul and spirit, she's really in heaven. But I stand by that graveside, and I think, one of these days, Jesus is going to come. It might be today while I'm standing here and she's going to get up and all of these people that I pastored through years, they're going to get up. We are going home. The only gospel that's going to last is the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to cleanse you by his blood. Pastor, you come. I'm finished. Eyes are bowed, eyes are closed. If God is speaking to your heart right now, whatever it might be, you just respond to the message. I heard an older man of God tonight share his heart. Some of you young people ought to get this altar and ask God to give you the kind of marriage this man of God just described. If you're getting baptized tonight, you come forward. We'll go ahead and take care of that. You've got time to pray. Maybe you're married tonight. Maybe you ought to get down here together and say, I want, I want that kind of a marriage. I want that kind of a home. He made so many statements in this message tonight. But he said, God, I'll take care of your business if you'll take care of mine. 
watched God meet his needs while he put the things of God first in his life. So many things he said tonight caused my heart to be stirred. The importance of being filled with the Spirit. The importance of having a prayer life. The importance of walking with God in these uncertain times. I love what he said. If you'll just stay on your knees and walk with God, you'll be all right. I wonder tonight, did God speak to your heart?